0: To tell me who I am. Go on. Give me give me some what you know of me. If you know me a bit, say something you know about me. If you've just walked into the door today, you can say something about me. Feel free to yell it out. Only proviso is it can't be super rude and you can't be a family member, even interstate family members. Alright, everyone else can go. Sorry? (laughs) I heard I heard words up there. Yes, my name is Michael Wayne-Savs. Thank you for just letting everyone know that. that's it. That's great. What else do you know about me? I, <laughs> I knew this was going to go this way. Yeah, I, love, I, I do not. I love hugs from certain very lovely people that I'm married to. Um, yeah, what else do you know about me? I'm the wrong side of... <laughs> I love you guys. I love you guys, Yeah. I, I love, I'm a golf tragic, yes, I am an absolute golf tragic, that is true. You support that you. <laughs> <laughs> like Liverpool in the football, yeah, um, yes. I, I do follow teams that aren't having the best time of it at the moment, but have a great, rich history. Um, yes? Oh, thank you, Dan. Nice God, <laughs> Daniel, everybody. Excellent. <laughs> oh, yes, excellent, thank you. We are thinking about today, um, as I kind of recuperate from that, um, we are thinking about today, what does it mean to be human? Who am I? That was just a bit of fun to get the ball rolling on who you think I am and the things you know about me and, and those kind of things. But who are we really? What does it mean to be human? We all want to kind of think through these Uh, things I think. We all at some stage actually think about our identity. Identity is kind of crucial to what we think about our humanity. How is it that you identify yourself, that I identify ourselves, how should humans identify themselves? I think it is a very good question. Um, On page one, uh, in the outline you can see... uh, In the first talk, that's where we're starting with. It's a good question. It shapes all of our assumptions about our relationships and how we relate to people, our identity. It's not a brand new question, though. This isn't a question that we're just dealing with now, and and society hasn't done that at all previously. Ever since there has been humans, we have been thinking about what it is to be human. But we have big um, challenges before us. We have quite big challenges. Um, As I've been wrestling with this talk and going through this series, what we're going to do over this series is I want to actually let you know some really helpful resources. I think this is a uh, whole relationships, good books, and give you some reviews of books. Uh, I read a book that I um, just picked up this week and read it this week, and it's an absolute cracker. And I bring it up now mainly added to have integrity because I really stole a lot of this from uh, Andrew Walker in in, in the talk today because he was so helpful in the way he went about it and I want to acknowledge that but I think this book is profoundly helpful for setting the foundations for our relationship series and particularly because he's addressing an issue that I can't believe that I'm actually talking about. The book's called God and the Transgender Debate and it's a fantastically helpful book And I encourage you, as we think about these things, if you um, want to understand how we got this way and who we are and all those kind of things, this book is really, really accessible, easy to read and theologically spot on the money. So I think I'd endorse that um, to you. But I I bring it up now because I want to just uh, read a quote that he says. Why this book? He says, I'm writing this book because there's a revolution happening in western culture that is exploding our assumptions and traditions of what it means to be a man or a woman the revolution is flipping over the tables of century old norms and with that revolution comes a debate a debate about what it means if anything to be a man or a woman that is actually what's happening in the western world right now that is the debate that is happening but this idea about what it is to be human is something that we ask all the time. Uh, this uh, movie that I watched again, it's an old uh, 80s classic and it's got a new version in the cinemas now, which I haven't got to yet. I don't know if anyone else has. Let me just put it up there. Um, oh, Blade Runner. Has anyone seen the original Blade Runner? Yeah. It's a, it's a cult classic. It flopped in the cinemas and then became a classic. It's about... Harrison Ford, who is uh, trying to find these replicants. Replicants aren't humans. Everything about them is that they're human, but they're not. They're made. And there's renegade ones. How do you figure out what's a human and what isn't a human? Well, humans have memories. Replicants, the other person in that picture, they shouldn't problem is she thinks she does have memories and then the movie goes on goes on but it's a fascinating concept and idea how do we determine what is our humanness in that idea of well is it our memories or maybe it isn't and then I'm intrigued to see what happens in the new one that I haven't got to yet but that idea that idea we need to wrestle with it's not a it's not a new one but it's very current Yesterday, in Adelaide, we had the Pride March. I don't know if you uh, realise that. At that Pride March, when I saw footage of it, I saw, I I guess, five or six-year-old kids' photos in what looked like a very family setting, parading signs saying trans kids. Celebrating that. That's the context. I think it's helpful for us not to just not talk about it, It's to say, that's where we're living, that's where we're heading. How do we wrestle with this? How have we got here? I don't know if you've ever thought about these things and wondered that, but how have we got here? Uh, you may have re- remembered this moment, a picture on Vanity Fair that you just saw, of this person, Caitlin Jenner, is uh, uh, what she, uh, he, she wants to be caught now. She identifies as a female. But if you know the story, Caitlin is actually the stepfather of all the Kardashians, who you probably can't have avoided even if you desperately tried to, like me. (laughs) He was the decathlon gold medalist. He was the picture of femininity. Uh, Femininity. (laughs) Masculinity. There is potential for me to say many uh, funny things in this series. (laughs) Put that out there. Now, this is important. Because what actually happened was a few months before this, uh, that, that, image, that image came out on Vanity Fair, what happened was Bruce Jenner had an interview with um, a famous uh, journalist, Diane Sawyer. And this was a stunning moment where he revealed a secret that he'd been harbouring for a long time. He believed he was really a woman. Um, uh, this book Andrew uh, Andrew Walker let me read to you how he describes um, what took place if you've seen the interview you see someone deeply hurt wounded and unable to find peace someone still seeking self-acceptance to possessing wealth and celebrity grieving for someone I had never met my insides hurt as I watched the pained interview where Jenna laid bare his soul by the by talked about compassion and how we approach things he's just outlined that beautifully in the way he said that i think a few months later that reveal in vanity fair came out he transitioned to identifying as a female and expressing that it has exploded that was 2015 and now the world has exploded how do we process and think about these things because now the message is clear and has been going ever since. Men can become women if they perceive that to be the case and vice versa. Does anyone know how many gender options Facebook has? Yeah. Yep, that's right. We have, in the Western world, a debate about toilets. There's a massive debate going around the world about toilets. You think, well, this is all out there. Well, it's actually not. There's a local public school that is actually making the decision, I believe this to be correct, of having just unisex toilets in a primary school in Adelaide, close to us. It is the new social justice of the day, and it's happening so fast. And it affects all of us. This is the world that we're moving into and we need to ask the question, how do we view humanity? How do we think this through? It's hard. And I'm laboring a, a kind of an extended um, introduction to the, into the, to the uh, series in, in a way. Um, we are going to get to the Bible, don't worry, I haven't lost the plot. The Bible is still God's Word and that's where we find the answers. But I want us to labor how we've got here for a bit and do a bit of work on that because I think um, what... Um, I saw in that book and I was working on before I read the book is that this has exploded but it hasn't just happened overnight there's been a whole bunch of things that have happened in society which has meant it was the perfect storm for um, the entertainment industry to just jump in Hollywood the media and everyone and say this is the new agenda what things have happened well, what we're going to do yourself you can't trust authorities you just can't trust them we and all the scandals and things that have happened you can't trust them and so if you're going to figure out who you are and your identity you look to yourself and if you look to yourself you can do whatever you want and so we can have college kids saying to a uh, middle-aged white man who's five foot two you're, you can be chinese and six foot five if you want that is where we are God doesn't get to speak. What we're going to do is get God to speak and hear his voice. And we're going to wrestle with this over over the coming weeks. And today I want us to see what it means that God actually has a plan for humanity. You see, God knows what's best. God's voice is clear. God has an intentional plan for creation. If you've got a Bible in front of you, um, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God saw his creation as gone, that is the plan. It's a good plan. It works. I like it. And the culmination of his creation is humanity. Just look back with me at verses twenty six to twenty nine. They may be familiar to, uh, to you, but let's look at them with eyes trying to understand humanity right now. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the living livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. The culmination is humanity. And why are we so significant? We are not just another animal. That's another view that you can pull out of there. But we are just another, another animal in the world. God said, let us make mankind in our image. The God of all and of the universe has made us to in some way be like him, to represent him. And there's a plan for humanity. There's a task. It's to rule over the creation. God, who rules everything, has given humanity that task. Humanity has profound, absolute identity. God has given us His image. We are image bearers of God. Biological matter matters in God's plan for the world. This is not bad. It matters. How can we say that and know that to be true? Because in a few weeks' time, we're going to remember God with us. When Jesus came into the world, God himself became flesh, took on flesh to be one of us, to rescue us. How extraordinary is it That your whole purpose and identity is God saying, I've made you with my image. And the challenge for us in this series, the challenge for you today, is to realign yourself to that. If you're a follower of Jesus, sometimes we just put it in other things and we've got to come back to it. If you're wrestling where you are with God, it's to think, is that right? That sounds good but amazing or weird or to wrestle with it. And it's not just God made humans. That's primarily the focal point of our identity, but he made us into halves. Look at chapter 2, verse 21 and 24. Just before it, uh, there was no suitable helper for for Adam. And so in verse 21, the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep uh, into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Male and female, let's just, We should know this but let's just be so clear about it male and female are equal in value because we're both fully image bearers of god and that is what it is to be human that picture there that we've seen is in light of god said let us make mankind and mankind there is just humanity it's just the the language use it's just all humans male and female As it goes on to say in verse 27, male and female, he created them in the image of God. We have got to fight against this idea of lesser. When God says, you're just as much got an image bearer as another person, but you are male and female, you are distinct. It's not just a category, it's not just a social construct which is so often what we hear now when we listen for it. Brothers and sisters, if you're wrestling with where you fit in the world, maybe you're trying to figure out what your life is going to be and the relationships you're going to have or what's going to be the future, that isn't where your identity is found, it is in that you're an image bearer of God. All too well we know what happens. As soon as we had this beautiful picture of being an image bearer of God, and Adam and Eve were naked, they felt no shame, is this harmony in relationship, it all goes down the toilet fast. And why does it go down the toilet fast? Because Satan starts to weave into the mind of Eve and Adam. We see these early ideas starting to take place in what happens at the fall. What we see is Adam and Eve reject God's way. What happens is that Eve listens to this, the serpent in, in, in chapter three and hears that when God said, Don't eat from the tree of good and evil, she he, she hears the the, the, the the Satan say, Yeah, but it's good. You'll know good and evil. You can have the authority to make decisions. She starts to listen. In verse 4 of chapter 3, he says, You will certainly not die. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's Eve doing? verse 6? She saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom so she took some and ate it. Now here's the thing, Eve didn't just go, okay, I'm just going to do this, it's wrong. There's, there's a sense in that moment where she's making a rational, rational, reasonable decision supported by her feelings. Her feelings are letting her down She's forgetting the truth that God's told her and that Satan's kind of deceiving her but she's making a calculated decision. She has distorted her her own self and her feelings and emotions and got caught up with it and humanity has now started to reject God and will continue to do it all throughout our existence. That moment where humanity turns away from God is our story. As Romans says, there's no one righteous. You you and I know this, right? None of us come to God and go, I've got it sorted. I'm an unbroken image bearer. There's no shattered glass in my image. I'm perfect. None of us are going to say that. If we say we do not sin, we deceive ourselves, as 1 John says to us. And we know that this causes a problem between us and God and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The wage of sin is death. We have a battle. We're struggling to deal with because we're supposed to be image bearers. We're supposed to rule in harmony under God and yet we constantly want to take God's throne. And so our identity is distorted by this brokenness. That is why we end up in this place and how we get here today. That you can believe that, I can believe this. Well, Satan starts to weave in some lies amongst truth, didn't he? He didn't just outright lie. But that's not the end of the picture. You see, the Bible's message to anyone struggling with identity or any issue is that God is making a new creation in Jesus a new creation that whatever your pain and heartache and struggles are, there is a new creation. You can be redeemed, set free from your pain and grief and struggling. And that was what our second reading was from Romans chapter 8. Turn to, with me to Romans chapter 8. I, I, I want to just point out a couple things from that there. Because this idea of being an image, which is our identity, but we've broken it, we get our imagery cast in Jesus. See, Paul, after he says there's no condemnation, talks about we suffer heaps. We've got all this problem creation suffering. We're longing for something better. Just like people are struggling with their identity and even thinking they, they identify with the other, other sex. This is not right. We're groaning. In verse 22 of chapter 8, we know that the whole creation has been growing, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. The Bible's message is that the image bearers, you and I, with our whole self, our physical and spiritual self, all of ourselves as image bearers, is broken And it is redeemed in Jesus as he takes our sin on himself. And we live now groaning because we just want it to be all fixed up, right? Who would like every single ailment you have right now to be gone? Put up your hand. All of us is the answer to that. And if you're really struggling right now, your hand flies straight up, right? Because we long for that. Because that's where God says you're going. Because he redeems, sets us free, pulls us out of it, out of our problem through Jesus. There's a total transformation. It's not just this concept of redemption, it's your body is going to be redeemed into all eternity perfection. And so, as we see the beginning of this, as he frames it in verse 18... I consider that our present sufferings, our present groanings and longings, our pain, our wishing that we uh, had these relationships or that these relationships weren't broken or that we were uh, the other sex or whatever it may be, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing at the glory that will be revealed in us. We deal with that knowing there's an eternity of perfection and glory where those pains and groanings will be no more. Can you see the bigger issue um, is not our identity and who am I and what type of person am I going to be? The bigger issue is actually who am I to God? How do I relate to Him? I am a redeemed image bearer who longs for my perfection to come in Jesus. That's what we all can have, no matter what our baggage is. Jesus' redemption can pull us out of anything because he went to the cross for us. And so as we move into thinking about our identity, we understand male and female this way. We are equal and different. Intended, not interchangeable. That is God's plan. We complement each other. We need each other. One of the plans of God as we rule the world is that we're going to multiply. The way we multiply is you need a male and a female. As one example of that, as we see in verse uh, 28 of, of Genesis 1. We do not turn away from that, even though... <laughs> it seems, in bizarre ways, ways that are going to impact on us as a society, impact on the Christian society as well, the world is saying, actually, no, that's not right. We don't need those categories anymore. They're social constructs that we're so enlightened. All those centuries got it wrong. We don't need them. We want to come back to biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. What does that mean? Well, I think out of our desire to hold to maleness and femaleness, what we need to make sure we don't do is, uh, in our desire, make all kind of tra- traditional gender stereotypes and place them as if that's what the Bible says a man is and that's what the Bible says a woman is. For example, here's male, here's a female. Okay, let's do the gender stereotypes and here I am. Okay, do I like... Carpentry. No, I'm over here. I'm, maybe, maybe I'm a female. Do I like sport? I'm way over here. Yep. I'm definitely liking sports. I, I must be a male because that's what society tells me. I I don't wear dresses. Yeah, I can stay here. Good. <laughs> Your eyebrows raise there when I do that. Uh, can, can see, I could keep going on and on. Jen and I have so many things that we're not gender stereotypes, right? Jen is amazing carpenter. She. And, and a couple of the other guys built our ministry shared office space, right? Which is amazing. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I don't. I can't do it. And as I've learned to do it, it drove me crazy. I don't like cars. I'm sorry for you who do, but I don't. I, I just don't understand them because my dad never taught me them. Is that my dad let me down as as a man? No. It might have been helpful, so I didn't get stuck in the bush. But you know, like Jen's dad did. Jen's dad taught her carpentry. Like, that is the context of where our society is. That's not biblical manhood or stereotypes. There are gender flips. No, God's made us certain ways that guys do like sport more and and go... But it doesn't mean that we place biblical categories on those things. That's really important as we wrestle with this. So, what does it mean? Well, I think we'll see throughout this series... That we understand that the bible talks about what it is to be a man and what it is to be a female not in just telling you okay now i'm going to tell you what a man is and what a female is by helping you see in the relationships you're in how you are to think and behave so in a marriage relationship this is what a man looks like this is what a female looks like in brothers and sisters this is how you to think of each other children it talks in, in that category. And so as we go through the series, we'll build the picture. What we don't need to do is, I think, as I'm reflecting on it, is obsess about what is it to be a male, a, a man in the Bible? What is it to be a female and over-obsess about it to the point where we tie ourselves up in knots trying to figure it out? We just open up God's Word and when it talks about these relationships and we engage with them, whether we're in them or not, we can still learn from them and we get a better picture. We understand what headship is in relationships. We understand what sacrifice is in relationships. And I think that's what we'll see more and more as we go through this series. There's much more to be said, but I hope what you're seeing today is that at the core, if you are a follower of Jesus, throw off everything else that you're letting shape your identity and come to him. That is what you need to do. That is where we rest. So, who am I? I've got four things there for you uh, to finish up. First and foremost, we are a secure, redeemed image bearer, which we've seen throughout. When we forget this, It causes us so much strife. And to be honest, you forget it. Because I know I forget it. Where I put my identity in other things. Sometimes we put our identity in good things, right? We can put our identity in our kids and not realise we're doing it. Make them to be the little gods. We can put our identity in our workplace. Uh, a colleague of mine, many years ago, used to be the chaplain of the New South Wales uh, cricket team. Who do you reckon he spent most of his time with? Kind of partially caring for. Sorry, the cricket team. <laughs> Thank you, God, genius. Um, that's 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 a uh, godly older wisdom there. Thanks, God. That's right, right. It wasn't just the cricket team. He spent most of his time with the guys who didn't make it. And they're just realising, I'm not going to actually make it. I've given my whole adult life to this point and even all my teenage years to playing this sport and I'm not going to play at any high level. Some of them were suicidal. Some of them totally broken. Well, Well, I'd have nothing left. Who am I? Because their identity is in a thing that they do. We're not made to have our identity in the things that we do. We're made to have our identity in Christ. It frees us massively and our struggle is we often come back to the things that we, even the good things. As we think about that, that means... Well, first of all, let me just say, I forgot to say, so I want to encourage you, if there's an application take out of today pray regularly to god when you're struggling and you've got heartache if you've got an issue in your life and job god first and foremost help me to trust in having my identity in you because i know in these times i find it harder have that a prayer in your life to do that regularly i realise i haven't prayed that enough in my life and don't for a second think that i've got this order because i'm your pastor I find my identity in being your pastor. How ridiculous is that? The second thing is, who am I? I am one whose identity is in Christ, as I've said, so it's not in my humanity, gender, or sexuality. The sexual revolution says, your whole purpose and life is found in how you express your sexuality so crazy to think that you wouldn't express your sexuality because that's where you find identity. We need to understand the sexual revolution and what happened, which just reminded me... I'll bring these books next week. This book called Pure Sex has been around for a long time. Such a short little book which highlights how the sexual revolution has shaped our society and still does to this day. Really helpful for you wrestling with, or all of you in your your, your 20s... um, It's really helpful for you to realise why you're thinking the way you are and the way society has got us there. It's helpful for all of us. You see, Psalm 8 that we had read, the reason I had that read is because it says, who is man that you are mindful of him? Not who is man that you're mindful of his sexuality or his gender, his maleness or femaleness. You're just mindful of us so much you've given us this image-bearing, ruling role. If your identity is in your boyfriend and girlfriend, regardless of how helpful or how harmful that relationship is, you're not willing to let it go. If your identity is in... If your identity is in the need to have feelings of closeness that you need physical contact and for whatever reason in your marriage relationships that's not happening adultery could be around the corner but when our identity is in christ when those things aren't working the way we want we get rid of them and come back to jesus Who am I? I'm one who is not going to let comparison destroy my joy. We compare each other all the time, don't we? It's what we do as humans. It's part of the fall, I reckon, that we look at someone else and go, I wish I had that. Siblings, friends, our enemies, our frenemies, anyone. We constantly are comparing ourselves. older generation, you know that to be true as well, but it's good for you to realize the context in which the younger generation is actually struggling with this more than they want to realize. Because in new ways, not just technology, but for whatever good social media has, this is the destruction of us in social media. Whenever anyone looks on Facebook, do you not compare? Of course you do. You can't not help. You can maybe foster it in a healthy way but you compare what happens on facebook you put down all the awesome things are happening on instagram you put down all those photos where you just got out of bed and you look horrendous and and you're tired and grumpy and and no you put down when you're having a great time and how wonderful it is and how much you love people and if things aren't working for you and you look at that just destroys your joy and your identity in christ over and over and over again If we're going to do social media, which we have no choice in, we have got to just start dealing with this reality that we constantly do this to ourselves. I've said this before, but I don't do Facebook because that destroyed me. I just couldn't handle having everyone say everything that's going on or saying some buffed things or or positive things. So I thought, do I need this? Oh, you know, people say, oh, you need it to be a pastor of a church. Well, Grove started and i very, very rarely on it. We just have Facebook to help communicate things with people and I've kind of offloaded that to other people because it the street, honestly takes me down. That's not me telling you not to be on social media. Social media is great. Good. We should advertise our Christmas event on social media, but come on, we've got to realise how destructive it is. let's not compare ourselves to each other let's just come back to jesus and look at him lastly and very importantly if we are in christ image bearers we see jesus and we see the gracious love and compassion he had for others we see people with what's called gender dysphoria, that idea, that's the technical term and that book gives all the other definitions and outlines, the idea that you perceive yourself psychologically to be of the other sex. And we don't ridicule. We reassess the way we speak and we don't mock. Because even someone here may be wrestling with that. It's a real, honest, valid experience and it's probably going to be expressed more in this climate. We see that. And we love... We seek to understand as Jesus did. Are we willing to stop saying words we said before because they weren't offensive, but now they are? But at the same time, we see this photo of Caitlyn Jenner and we want to stand up and say no. No. There is male and female. This photo was cleverly taken to point to femininity. What's missing in that photo? The hands. These are male hands. Male hands. You can't get far from that. It's very clever what to do do with that in that photo which in many ways launched this new place that we're at. But brothers and sisters, as we finish, there was of course one who did not hide his hands. There was one who when others were trying to wrestle with who he was and what his identity was, he appeared in front of them and he laid out his hands and he showed them the holes in his hands and he said to them, I'm here peace be with you and just like thomas who got to see in person you and i as image bearers of christ can say my lord and my god let's pray heavenly father We desperately want to be image bearers that please you. Help us to find our identity in Jesus who redeems us so magnificently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.